Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode one of what is going to be our Xbox-focused podcast called Direct Xbox. This is for the Spawncast Network, which you can check out. We have the link below, spawncastnetwork.com. But essentially, I'm going to get together here with Nate, who uh, actually, how are you doing over there, Nate? I'm doing well. Looking forward to beginning this journey with you and everybody listening as we discuss all things Xbox for the foreseeable future. Okay, I was expecting you to just say fine as I went along with my uh, my little spiel here, and I've, I've now forgotten where I was going with this. So, that's, that's <laughs> hey, that's a good exchange for the first. All right, good, good, good. We're off to a good start. Uh, now, it's 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 great to to finally get this going. We've talked about it for a little while because we don't we don't when we do like the spawn cast, it's fun, but there's like eight, nine people on there and it just turns into mayhem. I like the idea of having these, uh, these platform focused podcasts to supplement all of that. So we can get into uh, some of the finer details for these different systems and, and, and kind of sectors of gaming. So I, Xbox, I'm all for, I was excited to really be able to talk about it one-on-one with my co-host here, Nate, the hate. And in fact, we do have to give a shout out, to not only the the patreon members but the winner of the gift card that we were giving away for hitting 300 members which again you can check out all of that in the link below but that is for derek day so congratulations in fact he chose an xbox gift card so he has that sent over so congratulations there to derek and again you guys can check all of that out in uh, swancastnetwork.com we have all kinds of tiers and we've been posting up a lot of uh We'll say, we'll say some gameplay. It's uh, We did everybody one to switch and yeah, Sean only yelled like seven times or something. He, he tested the limits for YouTube. I'll say that. <laughs> it was, it was a good time. So I, you know what, Nate, I realized something people are going to, they're going to be curious why it's called direct Xbox. That's true. And you know, if you are a lifelong Xbox fan dating back to the original Xbox, you may have an idea why the show is branded the way it is, but maybe if you are introduced with the Xbox 360, Xbox One, or even the Series X or S, you may be curious. And luckily, John has an answer for you. Hey, we welcome everyone here. All all generations are, are welcome here. But for, for a bit of history, the original Xbox was pitched by the DirectX team, and they called it Direct Xbox. But instead, they decided to cut Direct off and just called it the Xbox. So I wanted to I wanted to pay homage to that original code name for the system that I think revolutionized revolutionized a lot more than people realize. I don't think the Xbox actually the original one gets enough credit for what it brought to the table when it came out. The built-in mm-hmm. hard drive, uh, the the out of the box LAN port, the focus on online play, the introduction of Xbox Live, uh, the ability to rip CDs to the hard drive. There was a lot there. All right. So I, uh, I I had to to give the call back for this show for that for that Xbox had to. You know what I also noticed, Nate? I I feel like there's a uh, a lot of people now kind of forget that original Xbox. Like I I do see a lot of uh, a lot a lot of other people who I'll talk to here and there, and they'll explain to me that their first system was the Xbox 360. And I thought about it a little bit, and I said, you know, that original Xbox had a four-year window 
and it only sold 25 million yeah. or so. So I mean, it mm -hmm. kind of makes sense when I think back on that from that jump from the original Xbox to the 360, which had a very long life and sold 85 or 86 million. Yeah, the original Xbox was really a curious product when you look back at it, especially with its short lifespan, as you mentioned. And by the time it came to market, you know, the PlayStation 2 was just dominant. But the original Xbox was the spiritual successor to the Dreamcast in many ways. Sega committed a lot of their prestigious IP to the platform, and you saw Microsoft really making effort to get high-end third-party support on the platform. You had Ninja Gaiden from Team Ninja and Tecmo. You had Sega, as mentioned. You hey, dead or alive, also, let's go. Yeah, you had dead or alive. They, they were the most powerful platform on the market, and they were catering to that adult audience. So you had a bit of that edge, especially when it came to marketing. When the original Xbox debuted, you had The Rock with Bill Gates. It was on MTV. It was a really odd situation. But going back into the early 2000s, that's what video gaming was. And as you mentioned, the original Xbox really brought a lot to the industry that is now considered standard. But at the time, it was revolutionary it really propelled the first person shooter genre to the heights that it still sits with today with Halo and the, you know, Combat Evolved. And then Halo 2 was an event in of itself. Oh, we had and to bring up Halo. Oh my gosh. We had to bring up Halo. Yeah. I mean, Halo 2 with the introduction of Xbox Live, that was a game changer. And I mean, for better or for worse, some of the innovations Microsoft introduced with the original Xbox maybe is a bit of a detriment to the industry, like charging for online oh, play. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that one. I, 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 I but... was going to tie that into one of the topics. <laughs> <laughs> a little peek of what to come. But yeah, the original Xbox, it was a fantastic platform for its time. And but the, the Xbox 360 was really a pivotal moment for gaming. And it really kind of transcended its place in the industry. Microsoft put their foot down and solidified their stance. Because after the original Xbox, there was definitely uncertainty of whether or not Microsoft belonged. And having only a four-year life cycle, kickstarting the next generation a year earlier than the PlayStation 3 and the Nintendo Wii, it was a gamble at the time. And taking a gamble is kind of what Microsoft has done with the Xbox line from the very beginning. And they continue to do it even today. Yes. So, hey, shout out to Xbox, OG Xbox. We had to name it after the code, after the code name, for uh, for their first system. But uh, exciting stuff, and uh, we'll 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 be getting back to that some of that online talk for the the charging and all of this. But why don't we why don't we roll into? I have several topics actually here that we can go over. Some of it involves the current news, potential future offerings, as well as some of our experiences with a recent Game Pass title. So let's 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 just start with the Activision Blizzard stuff because we will avoid this on the Spawncast sometimes because a lot of times it's like little bits of news here and there. But now that we have what seems to be the end in sight, as it looks like they're working things out with the CMA, and to be honest, at any time, any day, I'm almost expecting to wake up to the press release dropping that they have closed with the CMA. Everything's good there, and they're just going to go ahead and close on the deal. So my my thought really for this is, how much do we do? How much do we actually think things will change with Activision Blizzard at all, if at all, or is it just going to be business as usual? Let's say, 
uh, it closes before the end of this year, right? We're expecting that too. So in 2028, five years from now, the start of the next generation, at least is what they're expecting. Do we think Activision Blizzard will have changed much at all? It's hard to answer in the here and now. And when you look at Microsoft's more recent acquisitions, like Bethesda and ZeniMax, we can look at that and say they have stayed very hands-off, which led us to the issues with the Redfall. And if we go back to earlier acquisitions, like Rare, we saw that Microsoft was very involved with them. So we kind of need or hope that Microsoft can find a middle ground where they allow the creative teams at Activision to operate as they have, let them make the games they want to make, let them explore their creative visions, but do have some oversight to ensure you don't have a Redfall repeat. Make sure the quality is there, make sure games are in a happy development environment where you can turn them out in a reasonable time without crunch and such. But in terms of the day-to-day -day business, I don't think Activision Blizzard is going to change all that much. I think it's largely still going to be the company that it is today with some management changes, certain people being removed from the company. But beyond that, I don't think it's going to change all that much, at least not within just, you know, those first few years. Now, 10, 15 years from now, they could be a completely different company than what we're looking at today. But I think change is going to take a lot of time and I think people aren't going to be that patient. They're going to want to see immediate change. They're going to want to see Microsoft put their foot down and just crank out some of those new IP that's going to come under Microsoft's leadership. And it's not going to be that immediate. I mean, my, my issue and my concern is that Microsoft is looking at this as, okay, this is a big call of duty studio for us almost because they've mentioned that being Activision when they've tried to hype up Call of Duty, they've talked about how more than 30% of all Activision employees are working on the next Call of Duty. So for, for reference, uh, over 3,000 people worked to get Modern Warfare 2 out the door last year. 3,000 people at Activision Blizzard. That is, uh, I mean, they're pulling in studios that you wouldn't expect. Like Toys for Bob, I think, had to go help get a Call of Duty out at one point. And it's the fact that it takes that many people to get one of these Call of Duty games out, do you? And it's so lucrative. If I'm Microsoft, I don't know if I want to walk in and just start pulling people off projects and stuff and potentially risk Call of Duty. I mean, that that is a massive driving force for them to put mm -hmm. next to the Xbox, to put next to Game Pass. It's almost, you almost look at that and go, Microsoft, don't. Don't touch that. Don't mess with any of that. <laughs> Let them do their thing because Microsoft has had some weird things happen with their own management skills, we'll say. Activision runs like a machine for these Call of Duty games. And, yeah, so I, right. I don't really know why they would walk in and just start pulling people. Yeah, when it comes to Call of Duty, they probably should let it just run as it's running. It's a well-oiled machine. And when we look at the contracts Microsoft has brought forward publicly, they're actually adding even more to the Call of Duty machine by now including a Nintendo version to the mix. So now they have to find a port studio to handle a Switch or a Switch successor for Call of Duty. And as was mentioned in some of the court documents, the first Call of Duty game won't come to a Nintendo platform until at least August of 2024. So the second it comes under Microsoft's control later this year, 
they're going to have to find a team who can handle that Switch version or the Switch successor version. And that's one of those situations where we want to have that Microsoft oversight and involvement where they can find a proper studio, they can find a proper team who can handle that, but let the core development remain as is. And I mean, I guess you could say the hopeful view of things would be that if a situation were ever to present itself where Toys for Bob involvement with Call of Duty is no longer needed and Microsoft can look at them and say, you're the prime studio to do a 3D mascot, be it a new Crash game, a Spyro game, a Banjo-Kazooie game, hopefully Microsoft can sit down with them and say, okay, let's make this a reality because we have a lot of engineers under our umbrella, be it id Software, the initiative that maybe we can bring on to aid Call of Duty as long as those teams aren't busy working on their own projects. But I still feel as though Activision Blizzard is going to remain the well-oiled machine that we see today when it comes to Call of Duty and their bigger IPs like Diablo and such. Microsoft's not going to bother with them. They're going to let them just run as they have. And Matt Booty is going to kind of take a step back and say, unless you guys need us, keep doing what you're doing. I, I would like to see if they can do it because Diablo 4 is out now. Blizzard Albany, who used to be known as Vicarious Visions, could maybe go do something like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and 4, maybe? I mean, they did 1 and 2, and it was a really good game. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them attempt that, or even Underground, or really, I mean, really anything. If they can free them up, I think that'd be, that I think would be the move, if, if anything. Yeah, that would be one of those ideal situations. And Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and 4, that was a project that was in development for a while oh, okay. until they got shifted over. So there's still that chance that maybe they can return to it or maybe even in the current Activision Blizzard environment, it got shifted to another studio to finish that work. That's something, you know, that remains to be seen. But you would love that under Microsoft's umbrella now that they could hire more people, that you could let some of these creative minds who went from those, you know, the Crash Bandicoot or the Tony Hawk game say, we want to go back to our roots. That's where we started some of our companies before we were forced to come in to Call of Duty multiplayer map development. Now, if Microsoft can allow us a little more creative freedom, that could potentially pay big dividends for the company. But it's clear that they're not going to divest from Call of Duty in any meaningful way because this is an annual franchise. It generates billions of dollars and Microsoft definitely is going to want to see a little bit of return on this investment at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I kind of see, though, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and 4 as a way to get a lot of excitement behind Game Pass then, because it would go right into Game Pass. But 1 and 2, were the most, well, 1 and 2, the most recent release, is the best-selling game in the Tony Hawk franchise. Like, so they, they went out on a high note, technically, Vicarious Visions did. So I, I, I kind of think there's some... There's some opportunity there. So, Phil, you got to get in there, Phil. Put the foot down, get three and four out, and then who knows? Maybe they can take another swing at a brand new one. I don't know. They got to redeem themselves after Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> bad. Well, let me ask you this. What's what's Do you have one intellectual property that you'd like to see them take off the shelf? Like, it's just you go in, you can do it. We'll give you a team. Pick one. Is there anything you'd like to see them do? That is – are you – really tough question to answer because right now microsoft since the start of this generation even dating a little bit back to the xbox one is that they have a list of ips under their ownership 
that remain unused. And they've been open to pitches from external and internal studios to find a new development partner for some of these IPs. And these IPs include, you know, Banjo-Kazooie, Killer Instinct. And now that Microsoft could potentially be having even more IP under their umbrella with Activision Blizzard, you'd almost hope that maybe, maybe they could find a partner to bring back StarCraft Ghost, the game that oh. was almost... Okay. Was. Interesting. You know, they found like um, a dev kit, I think, that had like a build of that on it. I remember seeing that pop up. Yeah, you could find some gameplay videos of it because it was fairly far along in development when it was shelved. So that, I don't know if necessarily it'd be a big seller, but it would definitely be that nice little nostalgia boost where people would be like, whoa, they're bringing that back? You know, it's and if you could. It's, it's a shooter. It, it's man. interesting, Nate, because you don't necessarily need to greenlight projects based on how many can we sell. It really should be let's greenlight projects that make people excited to get people talking about. I mean, honestly, Game Pass, but get people excited about the brand that would then lead them to Game Pass. It, it's an interesting situation right. that that Microsoft finds themselves in trying to push the subscription service. Yeah, and that seems to be one of their primary goals is that they really want to generate excitement. It's not about selling 20 or 25 million copies of a game. It's to get 5, 10 million new subscribers to the Game Pass service. So if you bring something, even if it's niche, like Phantom Dust, a game they mm. tried to bring back now a couple of times, but it generated excitement every time it was mentioned. So you bring something like a StarCraft game or just anything in that IP vault of theirs that would generate excitement. I mean, Perfect Dark generated a lot of excitement with that first trailer, and that's an IP that hasn't had a new entry since the Xbox 360 launch back in 2005, but it has people interested. It piqued their interest, and that's exactly what Microsoft needs to do with this vast catalog of IP that they have that go unused, and hopefully they are able to find a partner to bring back Killer Instinct because Killer Instinct on the Xbox One is a fantastic fighting game. It just had an odd content release where you were constantly waiting for new fighters and new stages. And there were some individuals out there who were just waiting for a full version of the game before investing. And, you know, the game just didn't take off for that reason. But if you can come back, especially as it feels as though the fighting genre is in kind of a renaissance right now, we have Tekken. We have Street Fighter VI. If Soul Calibur can, you know, maybe find its way back into the mix, those fighting games that really defined the genre of the last two decades, that's what Microsoft needs to capitalize on. They need to begin to use these IPs and have representation in every genre because now there's no excuse for them not to have that. They have tons of studios, tons of talent, and they have the IPs that have brand recognition to them to cater to a wide audience worldwide. I'm bringing back Guitar Hero. I'm bringing it back right away. That's the first thing. We're, we're gonna all the IPs. We're building guitar the guitars. Hero. We're shipping them. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. I, hey, you know what? I ran a poll, and I think like 50 or 60 percent of people said that they want Guitar Hero to come back over anything else. I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, but I will say I, I noticed that with some of the later entries, I feel like things just got too complicated with it. I think most people just liked the guitar with like the, with the five or six buttons and the whammy bar, and that's it. I I don't feel like they needed to plug an actual guitar in to their system and learn how to play the guitar. 
Like, it's it just unnecessary. It's just people want to feel cool playing a game like Guitar Hero without having to worry about, I don't know, C-sharp or something else, right? So <laughs> I, I think there's still... Because if they could revive it and it worked... That I mean, that's a massive, massive driver for the mainstream. Yeah, I mean, this was also the same company who gave you a skateboard type peripheral to play Tony Hawk. Oh, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. So, I mean, overthinking was definitely something Activision Blizzard did where they wanted to innovate where there was no need for innovation. But to your point, Guitar Hero definitely has that casual appeal. It was easily accessible. Anyone could play and you had a vast range of musical options for people. And I mean, for me, the series peaked with the Beatles. Oh, I, I think I feel like I liked rock or um, I feel like Guitar Hero 3 was my favorite one. Or maybe Rocks, Rocks the 80s was pretty good. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. And I think it would be a curious thing to return to because I know Ubisoft had their own version of what was it called? A guitar smith. Oh, we actually learned to play yeah. the guitar. That's it got it got too complicated. Like I said, that's where yeah. I think it lost a lot of people. Because honestly, people just they don't want to learn to play guitar. They just again, they just want to feel cool playing guitar hero. That's it. Yeah, you just want that arcade experience yeah. again from gaming. And we've moved away from that in so many ways. So many games now are just cinematic theatrical experiences. But if you can give me just that genuine video game experience that has that arcade feel, there's a market for that. And you know, maybe Microsoft will be willing to tap into that again once they have Activision under their control. You still got to build the 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 accessory, which I guess is the pain, maybe even the sticking point. But if they could build a basic one, a standard little you know guitar, you don't really need to do drums or microphones necessarily. Just just let people kind of play and have fun, and that's it. I mean, technically, you could use your headset for the microphone if you want. It just tracks your pitch anyway. But and then you can sell people all kinds of let's be real music packs and all kinds of stuff that probably leans into that subscription service base to make you spend more. Uh, let's see. I do want to, uh, <laughs> I do want to talk about their game pass situation while we're on that topic, specifically their, their new subscription tiers that they introduced. They are getting rid of Xbox live, which by the way, uh, Hey, was that 21 year run, 22 year run for Xbox live? coming to a close yeah big uh, big moment here in gaming history they are just going to game pass now shocker that's their that's their big brand uh but game pass core has been introduced i looked at the plans this confused a lot of people i don't blame them because microsoft needs to figure this out but game pass core game pass console game pass pc game pass ultimate all right core is ten dollars console is 11 pc's 10 ultimate's 17 the biggest thing that differentiates these is mostly online play and day one releases pc and ultimate get day one releases and they also get ea play membership console has no online play but does get all of the games including day one titles core has online play as well as a catalog of 25 they say high quality games on console which it's not bad actually i looked at the list and it's like dishonored 2 doom eternals in there uh, fallout 4 uh, let's see. Oh, they have Halo 5 in here. Well, uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, Psychonauts 2 is in there. That balances it out. But they, they have some good titles in there, right? So I think the thing that conf confused a lot of people, and, and it, again, it looks weird, console, no online play. But the cheaper one, Core, 
does have online console multiplayer. I feel like this tier list still needs some more refinement and work from Microsoft and the elephant in the room. I'm sorry, it's it's paying for online for consoles. That that's it. That's that's the issue. Yeah, I think Microsoft's rollout of information regarding the tiers could have been a little more clear had they just said Xbox Live is being rebranded as Game Pass Core. And instead of having the Xbox Live games with gold, you have access to a curated list of Game Pass titles. And that's essentially, you know, exactly what it is. It's the same price and everything. Yeah, if you do yearly, yeah. it's 60 and 60, yeah. Yeah, it's just that mention of online that confused a lot of people. And nothing else had changed. The other tiers are identical as, you know, as they were prior to this announcement. So I do wonder if some of the confusion is just bad faith arguments. Well, I'm going to get us in trouble the first episode of X, of, of uh, Direct Xbox, all right? Because I'm calling Microsoft out. I think it's time we get rid of the online play charging stuff. Like, we don't... I, I think the confusion lies in Microsoft wanting to have PC and console considered the same across the board in terms of Game Pass. Like, it's all one big ecosystem, and you can just access it through console, or you can just access it through PC. And that... That's not completely true because PC, there's no charging for online, but on console, there is charging for online, and I feel like that that wall is going to be there until they decide it's not, and it just, it I don't think it's a great look either because they the day one releases are there for PC, they're there for console, but the console is like what really holds up at this point, and it has since, I mean, we talked about 2001, the Xbox brand, so... I think it would be a, a a really good move, obviously, for us, but for Xbox to try to set the new trend. Back then, they set the trend for paying to play online. Now, they should bring that wall down and set the trend for not paying to play online. They put a lot of pressure on Sony and, and Nintendo if they did that. Yeah, if Microsoft went free to play online, the industry would pay attention, and probably within 12 to 18 months, you would see Sony and Nintendo making a pivot and for Microsoft to do it, I think they would have to provide extra perks and incentives to game pass ultimate because that is one of their structures to charging that amount is that it does include online play. So now if you remove that and you have EA, you have, you know, some of those other perks, what would you replace online play with to justify the high price? Good games that come out every quarter. Well, yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, if a good game is coming out every other month, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay, whatever. <laughs> well, you see, you'd get that with the console price. So you'd have to, you almost have to find something else. You'd have to make a deal with Ubisoft and get Ubisoft Plus as part of the ultimate package just to provide that extra mm -hmm. incentive to justify charging. Sure what is it, $16 a month or $180 a year? Yeah, it's, it's 17 a month or on PC again, it's $10 a month. And really, if you look at Ultimate and PC, uh, the only thing that's different is online console multiplayer. That's the, the only thing I can see here, like, at all. Although, I guess you also have streaming. You have Okay, so you do have, you have cloud streaming on Ultimate. I think that's important okay. because if they do want to push that cloud future mm. you would need to have ultimate then to do it like so technically if you have okay. ultimate you then don't need a console 
right? You can just do cloud. Right. You can do it on your TV or, or what have you. And if, if there's a future right. where all of a sudden cloud responsiveness like is lower, we'll say, in terms of millisecond than your refresh rate, then, yeah, you probably wouldn't necessarily notice it much. So I, I think Microsoft gets this all figured out. They get the tiers all set up so it's nice and neat and not this weird-looking thing. And, you know, they set the trend. Get rid of that pay-to-play online. Focus heavily on Game Pass as content being your big driving force, not, hey, if you want to play this online, you got to pay the toll. Right. And, I mean, I think everyone would agree with that. No one wants to pay for online play. I hope so. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I would love for Microsoft to be that company to take charge and lead that path because the other companies had followed. And once you put that pressure on them, all of a sudden, it's a lot harder for Nintendo to justify $20 a year for online that offers nothing. There's no messaging service. There's no native voice chat outside of select games. You're essentially paying $20 for cloud saves, which is you know kind of overkill. So if Microsoft could come in, remove online play, it just comes down to how do you position that ultimate tier to justify that high price? And if they can come in with new perks and incentives beyond cloud streaming and EA play and such, maybe you know access to early betas or of their own games even. Mm, or maybe that. and maybe instead of have you know like right now if you want to pay that deluxe extra price, you get access to Starfield or Forza five days ahead of release. Oh, that's a good idea too. Early make access, that a yeah. perk. Yeah, make that a perk of ultimate from day one. You get that early access. And people would go to it. Because right now I know people with Game Pass. We're saying, I'll give you an extra $20, $30 to get the game a week early. Yeah, people but do not, that a lot. Yeah, so that wouldn't be a bad avenue of consideration as making that a standard perk for Ultimate if you are to remove the online fee from the lower level tiers. Yeah. Like I said, if they want to tie it all together, I think their eventual goal is to legitimately just have one thing you pay for and that's it. Like, I feel like that's the... There's one thing that's like how Netflix kind of has like their one thing that most people pay for. And then you decide if you want to pay for 4K or something like that. But it just it their tier list looks kind of weird. So I'm hoping they can refine that and figure it out a bit more. Let's see. Yeah, it was definitely like I feel as the core is definitely a relic of the past. It isn't necessary. Yeah. But here we are with it. They really want to get rid of games with gold because look at Oh gosh. That library offerings that they've it done in sad. the past year or so is pretty sad. And they you could tell they were desperate <laughs> to get out of that and say, What can we do to get people into Game Pass? Give them a appetizer of what we can offer and give them a little sampling here and there for people to look at and say, I really like having access to a mm -hmm. decent sized library of games. And you know what? For an extra five dollars a month, I get a whole bunch of other games day one i'll just upgrade to ultimate and i mean it is significantly better than than what they have yeah. games with gold and they also say they'll add new titles every two to well, two to three times a year so every you know like four months or so they're gonna drop another few titles in but in terms of games with gold comparison uh yeah no comparison it's core significantly better for the same price uh let's see we did have we did have a new dashboard that's been rolling out my xbox popped up with a notification when I turned it on yesterday that said your new dashboard is coming up eventually and then it disappeared so I they said that they're going to be rolling it out over the next couple of weeks I like the way the new dashboard looks way better than the old one basically 
they're just shrinking the icons, and to be honest, it's looking more and more like the PS5 dashboard. But that's not a bad thing, because the biggest complaint that a lot of people have had is that those tiles take up the entirety of your screen, and then you can't see your background. Like, the dynamic background, the one you set, whatever. So I, I like the look of it. It's more minimalistic. They still have ads on the bottom, though, which is kind of annoying. I'd like to see that just removed completely, although I, they obviously use the ads for for a reason so uh did did your xbox get that yet nate so i'm part of the insider program so i've had the new dashboard for well over a month you've been now. holding out on us this whole time yeah so everyone's been talking about like wow this is really cool and i'm looking at saying I've, I've been i've had this for a while now what are people talking about so i like it i like how it is more minimal i like going to the icons at the top so I can quickly go to Game Pass. Yeah, I like that. That's way better. Then like, I, yeah. I have to go into the... I either have to pin it, or if I don't because I've just been playing a bunch of games and just kicks it all the way to the side or something, I have to go into uh, games and apps, go to apps, then go to Game Pass. So I, I like that little little shortcut at the top. Yeah, it's kind of like a mini, mini XMB. It yeah, has... a lot of Sony comparisons. <laughs> yeah, Sony, Sony's good at UI usually on their hardware. I'll give them that. I'll give them that, yeah. <laughs> But it's good that Microsoft continues to take feedback and evolve it because at launch, it was definitely a rough user interface. And I know they try to keep it uniformed with Windows 10 or Windows 11. And it's just refreshing that they are listening to the feedback and making changes to make it more simplified and easier to navigate. And it's definitely a lot simpler to navigate now. Still could use a little bit of refinement here and there, but I think they're on the right path and a lot of people will like this new dashboard. I'm hoping that the next move, and I know they've gotten the feedback for this, cause they've, they've, they've said they have, is HDR support for it, for the dashboard. Not necessarily for, just, oh, the, the colors are going to pop better on your screen. I want it so that the transition from dashboard to game is seamless. Because right now, if, you, if you're playing on an HDR-enabled set, it basically blacks the entire screen out and has to handshake again to your TV to open the game or go from the game to the dashboard. Yeah, that's been an annoyance. And is it still 1080p or has they have they finally made the dashboard 4K? Oh, I believe they had moved it up to 4K. I had to double check. I believe they did in the settings. But the biggest thing is okay. HDR. And uh, they, they have received that. They've made it known that they've received that feedback is what I'll say. And I'm not sure what the holdup is unless it's like oh, we still have support technically for that Xbox One, that original VCR system, and that didn't do HDR. So we're until we completely phase this thing out and it doesn't get any more updates in its legacy, I, I don't know. I don't know what it goes into building out a UI like that or support or anything, but I, I, I hope that's their next step is HDR and everything just flows seamlessly together. I mean, we can hope. The legacy of the VCR can expire now. We I'm don't good need to on remember that. that anymore. Pack that VCR up, Nate. Yeah, there's no reason. Yeah, I can actually pack it up. There's no more games coming to it from Microsoft's own internal studios. So the VCR has served me well, but it's time to rest. Well, we did have one Xbox One game that uh, unfortunately sounds like it got canceled because there was discussion last year. I think Jeff. I think Jeff Grubb mentioned it uh, in a podcast, but that there was going to be a sequel to Immortals Phoenix Rising. At least it was in development. 
And now we hear through VGC and their sources that it's actually been canceled, which is, you know, it's interesting. I didn't feel like it had that much, I don't know, excitement or interest necessarily when it first came out. Now, though, I saw a lot of people who were kind of kind of sad that at this news that it got canceled. And, I mean, the game got a lot of discounts as we went along. At one point, it was like 10 bucks or something. So maybe... Maybe just over time, people have found it, they've tried it, and they liked it. I was fine with it for what it was. It was kind of like this, I mean, I played it on the Xbox, and I don't know, it felt just like an average title. It's not as good and flashy as their big Assassin's Creed projects, but it felt like they had a bit more freedom to do silly things in the game, which is fine. It is from Ubisoft Quebec, who was behind Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You played this on the switch i think yes i played it on the switch and you know i can mirror what you said it was it was fine for what it was it wasn't a game that was exceptionally great uh went on discount fairly fast it felt as though it it needed something to really set itself apart from other games of this genre and even type because people were playing it they're like oh it's kind of like a zelda game but with mythology and yeah, it was. It eventually did come to Game Pass, I believe. So maybe a lot of people were introduced mm. to the game well after it released and they became fans of it. Or it's just one of those situations where people are outraged over a game getting canceled simply because the game got canceled and not because they have any genuine interest in a sequel happening. Because we've seen that happen a lot where a game gets canceled and everyone's outraged. But then the game gets revitalized a few years later and then no one buys it just fueling the idea of this is why the sequel got canceled in the first place because no one actually has genuine interest in it or you end up with a knack too where it comes to market and then no one buys it because no one was whoa, actually whoa, whoa, whoa. asking for a sequel hey you know what's interesting though nate they had apparently the plans were to i would say explore maybe mythology that isn't necessarily like propped up very often like like Hawaiian Polynesian myths, that was something that was brought up. That 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 actually sounds interesting for a scenario in a game like that where they can take more yeah. liberties and kind of have fun. So that actually sounds creative for Ubisoft. I'm a little surprised. That could have been cool. Yeah, I think if you went that path, it definitely would have been a creative and inventive idea to go with. And, you know, even with the cancellation of a Immortals Phoenix sequel, there's really nothing preventing them from doing that as a new IP and exploring that type of setting. It, maybe, maybe you make it a smaller type of game, almost you know more along the lines of some of their Ubisoft indie games where they had like Valiant Hearts and stuff. Hmm. Make it a short six to 10 hour game that doesn't need a $100 million budget. Come in with a $30 million budget and just have a focused, direct path for the game and bring it just to digital services. Maybe that's something that they could consider for those. And it's felt as though that Immortal Phoenix had a big budget for the first game. And then it underperforms. So it's definitely hard for a company like Ubisoft that we view their financials where they're not necessarily in a great place. They need a big hitter. They need some success. They're still stuck with Skull and Bones, a game that's been in development (laughs) hell now. Hey, Beyond Good and Evil 2 is coming, okay? Oh yeah, that game's coming, all right. Dude, what is what ha- what is up with that? By the way, what what are we looking at with Beyond Good and Evil Two? <laughs> if that game releases 
by like 2027 20, i think we'd be lucky yeah. i we can't have another the the sequel to mortal mortals phoenix rising but we can get skull and bones and beyond good and evil too hey i mean skull and bones has you know government and, finance okay. yeah, i can't believe that's just keep i actually wonder if that if it didn't if that thing would have been canceled a while ago you have to imagine yes because this game has just been directionless for so long and if it wasn't like contractual obligations yeah. to bring that game to market they probably would have shelved it there is there like a is there like some kind of agreement that it has to get a certain score or something because you feel like you just shove that game out the door and just move along i mean that's a great question and the game's, the game's gonna be no released yeah, the game's gonna come out no one's gonna care it's not gonna sell at all and ubisoft's just gonna kind of eyewash us say oh yeah look at this though we have this game doesn't this look better like, yes it does like don't pay attention to that boat game well they have apparently they, they did respond by the way to the reports and they said well we're relocating resources within ubisoft quebec which yeah, basically means, yes, we, we shelved or canceled that project for what I assume to be one of the 11 or 12 Assassin's Creed projects that are in the works. <sighs> Assassin's I mean, Creed. <laughs> I mean, maybe we can view that as a hopeful thing, that the game is just on ice, that mm. they can come yeah. back to it in the future after the studio ships their Assassin's Creed project, or maybe, you know, after the Rayman team ships Prince of Persia, maybe they want to come in and take on Immortals Phoenix. Oh yeah, maybe they want to try like a a big bigger 3D game like that. Oh, maybe. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, uh, I think they're trying to get Assassin's Creed Red ready. I feel like for next year. So maybe maybe that's what Quebec's going to help out with is Assassin's Creed Red. Yeah, I mean that could be the case. I mean, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels between Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty. They yeah. each require tons of studios for assistance, and they are of vital importance to their owners they need these games to sell if they don't sell they really don't have anything to fall back on and leverage their studio well this is i mean assassin's creed red i think has a ton of potential for them it's i mean it's, it's assassin's creed going to japan so like uh, that should be huge so uh, they got to get it done it's got to be high quality it's going to be an interesting release because we know we know sucker punch is likely working on a sequel to ghost of tsushima yeah yeah what if red goes up against ghost well i can i mean red should have better climbing mechanics and and all of this but i don't know ghost <laughs> ghost will probably have some very interesting stuff that they build off the combat and the mixture of stealth the, like the samurai showdowns and all that that's gonna be interesting to see if they go up against each other hmm. i mean that's a nightmare scenario if you're ubisoft because you think so? Assassin's Creed is strong, though. It's very strong at the Valhalla. It is. It's in a good spot right now. Probably the strongest position it's mm -hmm. been in in quite a few years. And we have Mirage coming out in just a couple of months, and it's a return to form. Good. It's a budget release, so that's definitely going to get a lot of people back on the Assassin's Creed train. But when you see those two trailers, Red versus Ghost, mm, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be an interesting day online. <laughs> let's uh, let's go over to let's go over to a game that's out in. Oh, it's less than a month. That's exciting. Armored Core Six: Fires of Rubicon. This game got previews, new gameplay that was released, and 
I am very excited for this game. It looks good. So we had we had some information come out. Fifty hours long for this game. Did you see this? Yeah, that is a lot longer than I was expecting to see. <laughs> Fifty hours, dude. The, the like the levels are huge. Like you're you're boosting up super high. Lot of verticality to it. Some of the bosses and enemies they're fighting are huge. They also have ones that you cut through, so you, you, know, you can do some cool maneuvers and feel really cool doing it and all this. I uh, I did notice when I'm watching the the preview for it though. That the boosting, it just feels really violent. Like when you hit that boost, the camera almost can't keep up with it. And it's like you crash into the side of the screen and pull the camera with you, kind of. <laughs> it looks so cool. I mean, that's what I want. Yeah. I want these mechs to feel like it's just like the game can't contain them when they're boosting mm -hmm. around. And it has that feeling to it. Yeah, it has that sense of weight to each mech, whether it's in movement or just hitting the enemy and even the long range attacks. It has an impact, and you can see that impact. Just boom. And it's been such a long time since Armored Core has been a quality IP and has had a high-quality release. Like and 10 years, right? Yeah. A minute, and yeah. this looks like it's finally going to bring Armored Core back. And we've talked about it before, how FromSoft is in just a new level of recognition. You're going to have people who never heard of Armored Core, as we talked about Back at the Game Awards, people are going to pay attention to this game because they are aware of FromSoft. We played Armor Core back on the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 because they were mechs and Gundam Wing was at the peak of popularity at the time. And we just wanted to play a game that kind of gave us a Gundam-type feel. Yeah. And But this looks like... What was that this terrible the Gundam evolution. game, the fighting oh. one we had? What was that? Bat oh, battle oh, battle Assault? Yeah, <laughs> the second one? <laughs> And then you had the Gundam game on the Dreamcast that was oh, so man. slow. Hey, as things are looking up here. I do want to point out, though, Nate, you're absolutely correct about the interest because of FromSoft. I went back and I looked at Armored Core 5, right? That was, yeah, it was 11 years ago a trailer was released for it. It, and this is over the course of the last 11 years, technically, views can come in ever since it came out, right? Uh for example, the, the official trailer at E3 2011, posted up on IGN, has 109,000 views. The Armored oh Core 5 God. trailer that was released uh, this 11 years ago, I think this was like a launch trailer, 447,000 views, again, since it came out then. Uh, Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon, the story trailer, this came out seven days ago, 1.9 million views on it. <laughs> There is significantly wow. more interest. I've also seen videos, uh, like, like uh, video posted up, uh, like they played Armored Core 6 two days ago, 1.4 million views. Uh, it seems like there is a significantly higher amount of interest right now in 6, probably because FromSoft has really grown over the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, when we were playing Armored Core games, FromSoft was really an unnamed developer they yeah. came out with armored core they had a few other titles and you could go all the way to the early xbox 360 generation where fromsoft still wasn't getting any recognition they had a toji on the original xbox that you know people thought it was cool but you didn't really pay attention to the developer it took until demon souls and dark souls and elden ring to make fromsoft that industry darling 
And when we saw the game awards and you see FromSoft come up and brand new Armored Core game, it got a lot of people interested. And we had seen it online where some people thought Armored Core was a brand new IP. Not realizing it's about 30 years old now. And that's great for the franchise, but it also carries a little bit of an inherent risk. And that risk is this isn't Demon Souls. This isn't Dark Souls with a mech. Right. This is still a very strategic style game where it's not all about fast paced combat or even melee, dodging, parrying. You have to approach and customize your mech for certain scenarios where you need long range, close range. It's not an adventure game like previous FromSoft games. You kind of have to know what you're going into. So I do wonder if there's going to be a sizable percentage who's going to buy the game on day one and realize this isn't what I want. Oh, no, I that's wanted, happening. Yeah. I wanted Elden Ring with a mech. <laughs> like, no, this is Armored Core. <laughs> yeah, it's level-based, mission-based, I should say. You can change up and customize your mech at different points throughout the mission. So you're not just like locked into one. Maybe if you have to change things up for a boss or an enemy you run into. And it seems like you're going to consistently get money or just whatever their currency is and just buy new parts and then customize further. So it sounds like there's going to be a, a consistent carrot on a stick in front of you for getting those better parts and making your, your core basically your own, right? Customizing it that mm -hmm. way. Uh, but I did have one other thing that I noticed, and this kind of got passed around on Twitter a lot. It had to do with some of the, the visuals catching some some heat, bit of criticism. I, I've i only seen this through you know, compressed YouTube video. I haven't seen it on my 4K OLED over here with the Series X, right? I, I The visuals look fine I, I i don't know they look good to me I, maybe i'm just getting old i don't know like it it looks good to me again through the compression and stuff on youtube it, it'll be easier to tell on you know the the 60 some odd inch tv oled and all that but uh it was interesting to see that kind of kind of blow up a bit online but i mean FromSoft generally reuses assets and textures from their games mm -hmm. for a long time now so i wouldn't be yeah. shocked if you're rolled around and you're like Oh, I, I feel like I saw that in Elden Ring. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing with FromSoft games. It's not so much the visuals that carry them. It's more so the artistic style of the game. And when I'm looking at Armored Core, I think the art is there. It may not help that a lot of the footage we've seen has been the same industrial complex type setting. Mm. So maybe there's a little concern that there's not going to be a lot of you know variety. But in other trailers, we have seen non-industrial settings. I think the game looked fine in the footage that we've seen so far. But again, this is through YouTube compression and all of that. So maybe when we have it in front of us, we'll notice I, some of these flaws. But right I, now, yeah. it looks like what I would expect an Armored Core game to look like. I will say, I, Elden Ring to me didn't like blow me away in terms of visuals or anything like that. It was definitely the gameplay in the world that they built around it. So even if the gameplay or the... Even if the visuals are serviceable, we'll say on Armored Core compared to like the the other AAA projects or something, if the gameplay feels good, I I don't think it's gonna necessarily hurt it per se when it comes to uh, scores or, or people's opinions of it. Right. Yeah. And I mean that's definitely that area where if the art is there, as long as it has that gritty type of look to it, where it has that industrial complex and the robots and everything have nice details, you can see the sparks or the damage being inflicted, that's fine. 
also, that's enough. I, I feel it comes like down we, to that combat and yeah. just the areas that we're going to be exploring and everything. That's where it needs to deliver. And right now, based on the gameplay footage that we have seen, it looks like it will deliver on those fronts. I feel like we had this conversation with Spider-Man 2 recently, like in terms of visuals and how much better do we think they're going to get? Like the diminishing returns. I mean, that that it's in like I, I, it's happening. So I, I, I'd rather I'd rather them come out and say it's going to look the same in on a pro system or something but it's going to be 120 frames i'd be like oh cool all right oh, it works for me I'd, I'd rather have the frame rate be the focus now because man i'm telling you these visuals we're yeah. just we're getting to a point where it's like get the magnifying glass out or something i don't know man this is uh, maybe i'm getting old i don't know it's it's very yeah. possible <laughs> i mean that's the thing if it comes down to oh you have to pause it here zoom in 400 percent to notice that the grate on the floor isn't a native 4k texture i'm moving at 300 miles an hour flying as a mech i don't even notice the floor grates to begin with that's fine and i mean you can definitely nitpick visuals for every single game there is. yeah you can yeah i saw somebody and, shoot fruit in halo yeah i mean that became a big controversy <laughs> the, the fruit stand those are probably the people i was killing over and over again in the game yeah <laughs> yeah they were too focused on shooting that tomato and apple <laughs> Uh, but hey, you know what? I'm looking forward to Armored Core. It's out on the 25th of August. I'm there day one. I'm on. I'm there day one as well. It's just, it's a little unfortunate timing though, because it's such a busy time of year. It is. Starfield's right next to it. Oh, man. And if you buy in early to get the early access, you really only have a couple of days with yeah, Armored Core. Yeah, yeah. 50 hour game, no problem. <laughs> Just two days, two days, 24 hours straight. Oh, man, yeah, because Starfield's going to be a lot of focus on that. All right, let's, uh, we do do have something we're going to finish up here, actually, a game we've been playing. It is from Game Pass. It did release their day one. That's Exoprimal. Played somewhere in the neighborhood between us, like 20 or 30 hours. And I feel like we are getting close to the end of the game. We probably should have already beaten it, but Nate, like, had some glitch or something going on i don't know something was it happening. was your fault hey, actually whoa 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 wait a minute what it was you <laughs> i found out the problem what i was because i was host uh-huh. and i was further in the story progression than you were mm-hmm. and because i was at a cutscene, the game pauses my progression until you catch up so I was I was just helping you farm up experience and stuff, you know, before beating the game. Yeah, I, I just had to play twenty additional matches. Well, how many matches have you played up? so far? Uh, about eighty-three. I feel like people have beaten it at like sixty something, but all right. Yeah, I mean, I'm a level seventy-five <laughs> character. Um, I think I think my other my what is it? The battle pass. I think I'm like a level forty in that, and I finally I think I only have like two or three missions left. Hey. So nearing the end. There we go. Okay. So it's been out for a little bit now. We've been playing it a couple of times. I'd say a couple times a week now, right? At night, check, going through it, different matches here and there, trying some of the different builds. I mostly was playing as a tank, and then I jump over to uh, DPS here and there. I think MVG was just being a healer the whole time, and you're a DPS the whole time, too. Yeah, I'm usually like Barrage. I did try Vigilant. I tried Murasami. Uh, I did Deadeye for a while. You did. But Barrage does a lot of damage. I like his special, kind of like a kamikaze attack where he just goes in, blows up. Mm-hmm. And it's great for the PvP end missions where you can just go in and blow up a whole team. It's definitely overpowered. But Exoprimal, I have to say, has been a surprise. This wasn't a game I had 
really any anticipation or excitement for leading up to release. It was more of that, hey, it's on Game Pass, let's give it a try. And here we are a couple of weeks later, 30 hours in, nearing the end, and saying, we're still playing it. Not as bad as I thought. There's, there's the, that's oh. the answer. <laughs> it is it is a good Game Pass game, though, because clearly it's a service-based game where they want you to continu- continuously play. I feel like I can recommend it as a Game Pass game. I have a harder time technically recommending it as a $60 game because I feel like content still needs to roll in before it feels like a more complete game is what I'll say. You see, it's tough to really give a full-on recommendation because, as we said, we've played it between 20 to 30 hours. That's a lot of time for a game, so it seems as though it would be an easy recommendation at $60. We definitely would have gotten $60 worth. Yeah, but I don't I don't know if... Um, but I don't know if I would have bought it for $60. I don't know if I would play it by myself, though. Like, just sit there playing right. it for 70 matches by myself. I feel like this is a game mm-hmm. that if you have friends... And everyone's willing to throw $60 in. So basically, if you, for people, I mean, they'd be getting $240 than uh, Capcom would. Uh, if, if that's the case, then yes. And you like kind of the PvE side of things where it is leaning into kind of Overwatch or just role-based, you know, gameplay where everyone's like, okay, someone's a healer, someone's a tank, someone's a DPS. Then yes. But I, I will say, I think the, the PvE side is way better than the PvP side. I almost feel like they didn't necessarily even have in mind that it was going to be pvp until the end and they're like oh wait we need something else what's the twist okay (laughs) they eventually run into each other there you go yeah let's do that and i mean the game definitely has surprised and like it has a great structure to it Mm. it just needs more content and if it finds a consistent base where capcom is making money where the server costs are justified this game could really evolve itself in the next year where they're adding new dinosaur mutations, just new dinosaurs, new game types, more exosuits. You revisit the game in 12 to 18 months. It's going to be a completely different beast weird, than what it is today. The weird thing about this, though, Nate, is you said 20 to 30 hours. Dude, there's gameplay modes that they're showing us or game modes. And we're like, why? Why are they just now showing this to us? Like, they should have shown us this really cool dinosaur (laughs) three hours in or something. It's like this big Neosaur thing with lasers. And it's like, why didn't you just show us that 15 hours ago? The Neo Ankylosaurus. Now we got Neo Pterodactyls and Neo Raptors. This is the stuff that if they would have shown people in those first five to six hours, they would have got their hooks in them because you'd be saying, wow, I need to see what's next. We were playing last night. And we just saw a new map. Yeah, I, I, we, that was weird. <laughs> we got a new game mode with the escort mission. Why did it take us 25 hours to see these? <laughs> these should have been in the rotation much earlier on. And I get they want to tie it to progression in some ways, but I've seen accounts online where people are getting the raid missions oh, earlier yeah. on. Yep. They're seeing they're seeing some of these maps and other people aren't finding these maps at all. So it seems like a lot of this is random. And that's just an unfortunate fortunate type of setup for capcom this should have had a core progression system that made sense where people were experiencing things at the same time and not just random because i don't feel as though i should be getting a map in a new game mode when i'm only maybe an hour and a half from running credits i should have seen those 12 hours ago to keep me interested because if you're playing the game in those first five hours are the exact same yeah, map and yeah. mission type you're kind of sitting there saying this game is really bare bones, 
But if you played one more match after you decided to quit, you might have gotten the Neosaur. You might have seen a different type of map or mission structure. They need that rotation. They need to patch the game to handle progression in a smarter, more clear way. Because as we mentioned, I didn't know why I wasn't advancing. It would have been nice to have a prompt come up and say, members of your party aren't far enough in the story for you to advance. Please wait until you're at the same level. And then I could sit to say, okay, I understand. Instead, I'm sitting there cursing at the game, <laughs> saying, why won't, let, why won't you let me advance this progress bar? What's going on? You know what the most impressive thing about this game, though, is the Ori engine. Dude, I, I somehow Capcom has, like, the best engine in the industry. I, it's, it blows my mind because probably the best mission, if they wanted to really catch people and grab them instead of having you like early on they have you go up against a t-rex and the idea is you're going to die to the t-rex instead if they dropped two thousand raptors on you and you just die to the swarm of raptors that would have been so much cooler because you see the the re engine in full effect and it i mean it is impressive stuff when that happens when it does that kind of that 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 at like that and then there's all these raptors <laughs> fall out of the sky and it looks ridiculous but yeah. it is a cool cool thing to experience in a game but you don't experience that right away or even to be honest close to the beginning bits of the game it takes like you said 10 hours maybe at times to get to that point you may quit at hour five yeah when you finally get to that scene where you're in the city and you're watching that raptor swarm on the bridge and you're watching them circle around and all of a sudden it's just a stampede of a thousand raptors. You kind of pause and say, wow. And to the RE engine's credit, the game never slows down. No. It never hitches. The visuals are better than you think. Yeah. So primal. <laughs> and it's I mean, I would say it's, it's a surprise release of 2023. Definitely not a game I thought I'd be putting in 30, 40 hours in. And they have a new mode coming. They have new exosuits coming out in a couple of weeks. Whether or not we return to the game once more bigger releases start to release in the second half of this year, you know, remains to be seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, But right now, it was that nice summer release where you could just sit down and say, hey, let's play a game for an hour and a half and Exoprimal will fit the bill. Yeah. So, I mean, I again, uh, if it's on, if you have Game Pass, I recommend checking it out there just to see what you think. Give it a couple hours. If you have some friends, I think you could have a, a good time out of it with some kind of co-op PVE action. Especially mm -hmm. if you like dinosaurs, I mean, you get to blast a whole yeah. bunch of them. So, and I think it's important to note that even though people will say, "Oh, it's a game as a service or a live service game," if you don't care about the battle pass, you can unlock all the characters just through in-game progression. You will unlock plenty of outfits gear decals backgrounds wallpapers avatars and such so you don't need to spend any extra money so if you want to play it just on game pass there's plenty of unlockables and you can do everything just through the in-game currency which you will have plenty of right now i have in excess of 110,000 bitcoins and i have <laughs> nothing to spend it on they have uh, they did hit 1 million players as well which i have a feeling game pass probably had a lot to do with that so in that instance if you if you have a service-based game and you're a third-party publisher and microsoft offers the check it might be worth taking it then so but that is hey that's our first show for direct xbox i think it went pretty well all things considered i only yelled about xbox like once with the the online play thing so 
That's not hey, too bad. Hey, I think know? it's a justified, justified stance. Hey, we'll get it. We'll get it there. Okay. The, the, you heard it here for first episode. We call for Microsoft to wipe out online play being behind a paywall. So we'll, we'll revisit this maybe in a couple of years and hopefully that ends up being true. But you can you can support us over on the Spawncast Network at spawncastnetwork.com or you can just go to patreon.com slash spawncast. All kinds of cool perks and different videos that go up there early and we'll be doing polls. Uh, Nate, you had an idea that maybe people can vote on uh, different games that we can have gameplay footage even up here for viewers on YouTube or even on Patreon. Maybe there's a new game coming up and you want to see what it looks like or you want to have that on in the background. You know, we can record an hour or two of gameplay footage and kind of have that up here. So we'll, we'll revisit some ideas with that. But for myself and Nate the Hate, that's going to do it for the first episode of Direct Xbox. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And I think this is going to be a, a bi-monthly. So every two weeks we should have a new episode. And we are in pure competition with, uh, with Game & Talk and whatever other platform-specific podcast, we will be the flagship podcast then, going forward. I'm, so I'm competing against myself. Yeah, you're you're the you're the free agent. You're the mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> you need to sabotage their show now. <laughs> I mean, Sean is the host, so so already going in that direction. Yeah, you just sit back, Nate. It's good. <laughs> Thanks everyone for joining us. We will be back in a couple of weeks to see what Microsoft's up to, and we'll see you then.